0: The following message is by Pastor Jason Pauley. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. But again, welcome. Let's uh, go before the Lord this morning in prayer. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this opportunity that we have now to be in your house to worship you. God, I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. I thank you for the opportunity to lift up uh, the gospel. God, we know that we often suffer from gospel amnesia, that we forget the good news, Uh, at least we forget to live in light of the good news of what your Son has done for us. God, I pray that as we look to your word this morning that the gospel will be at the front of our minds, that we will keep in mind that the words written on uh, this on these pages are written to direct our attention to You and what You have done for us. I pray that our hearts will be encouraged and blessed as we seek to not only be hearers of the Word, but also doers of Your Word. I pray for the churches meeting up and down the coast and around the world this morning, that they too will worship You in spirit and in truth. And I pray that Your Word would be proclaimed, that lives would be, would be changed, God, I pray the same for us, that as we interact with your word, that we will leave here different than when we came. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. So we're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and this week we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and as we've worked our way through the book of... Or into the book of 1 Corinthians, we've seen Paul talking about the gospel again and again and again. He's laying down this foundation of the gospel. And now we see this transition. It started last week and continues this week, where he talks about living in light of the gospel, living in such a way that we're remembering the gospel message, that we're remembering what Christ did for us. Now, by way of explanation, when I talk about the gospel, I'm talking about the fact that we are all sinners that we've all disobeyed God, that we have not lived up to His holy standard, that we are all less than perfect, and that we have sinned against Him, we've disobeyed His laws, and that the punishment, the right wages of sin is death. That the punishment of our sin is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's what Scripture teaches. And that ultimately, we are destined to that Place. But God, since the beginning of time, has been calling a people to Himself. He's been drawing a people to Himself to worship and serve and love Him to be His children. And that ultimately, through Jesus Christ, that forgiveness for our sin has been granted. That our sin debt was paid. That ultimately, though we had a debt that Christ came, that Christ was God Himself, He came into this world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, taking our place, taking our punishment, the punishment that we rightly deserved. And by repentance, turning away from our sin and trust in Him, we can experience eternal life. We can be forgiven. And that God freely offers that gift to anyone who will come to Him. So I encourage you, if you do not know Jesus Christ, that you come to Him today. That today is the day of salvation, Scripture teaches. So as I talk about the Gospel, I want to lay that foundation again and say, that's what we're going to talk about. The good news that Christ died for our sins. So without further ado, let's look at our text this morning. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1-5 through says this, Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God in this case moreover it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy but to me it is a very small thing that i may be examined by you or by any human court in fact i do not even examine myself for i am conscious of nothing against myself yet i am not only by yet i am not by this acquitted but by the one who examines me who is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to jump right in. The first point in our sermon outline is we are servants and stewards. We are servants and stewards. Look at verse 1 again with me. Paul says, "...let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God." Paul has already addressed some division that existed in the church in Corinth. They were, as we read, they were saying, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of Jesus. And Paul has brought them back to the Gospel to remind them that all truth is God's truth. That any genuine wisdom that may have been imparted to them, whether it came through Paul or Apollos or anyone else, else, ultimately came from God Himself. That God is the author of the truth. And that ultimately... Paul may have brought it, Apollos may have brought it, but God's the author. So then, when we get to chapter 4, it should come as no surprise when Paul reminds the Corinthian believers that he and Apollos are simply fulfilling their role as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Remember, Paul came to Corinth, he preached the gospel, he started the church there, he served as their pastor for a year and a half. What a blessing for a church! to have the Apostle Paul serve as their founding pastor for a year and a half, for 18 months. And he leaves, and Apollos is now serving as the pastor. And naturally, some are saying, well, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul. And he says, we're fulfilling our role. Our role is servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The word steward here is the Greek word huperates, isn't that a good word? Hooperates. So, And it means one who renders service. Thus it's often translated servant or helper or officer. And in studying this past week, I read a well-known commentator uh, who if I mentioned the name, many of you would say, yeah, I know him, I recognize, I, I listen to him a lot. And he made the argument that Paul uses this word uh, to describe someone who is subordinate who is a servant a low position and then what he's saying is that this this word indicates that Paul is saying both I and Apollos are really really low servants we are of the lowest rank we are just servants of Christ however the evidence for such an argument is weak because that's not at all the way the word is used in the New Testament The word means under rower and initially may have described servants who would row ships in the bottom of the ship and they would serve to row the ship, to to propel the ship forward. But it doesn't mean that it's the lowest of all servants, that they sit in the bowels of the ship. That eventually this term became, became used to describe anyone who is under authority, a servant who is under authority. It's the same word we see in Luke 1 verses 1 through 2. So let's look at a couple of different places where we see this word used in in context. In Luke 1 verses 1 through 2 we read this, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of these things, the the teachings and events surrounding Jesus, this is Luke speaking, he says, all these things accomplished among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. So uh, he writes, Luke writes and he says, All these things were writing down, and they were written down because people were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. So servants, that's the word uh, that we're talking about here, huperetes. And it it carries the idea of those who are responsible for carrying forward the message of God. Again, in Luke 4, verses uh, 16 through 20, we read this. And He, this is Jesus, came to Nazareth, where He had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet of Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. And he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then verse 20, And he closed the book, And gave it back to the attendant. The huperates is the word there. The one given charge over the synagogue. He gave it back to the one who was given charge over the synagogue at that time. And he sat down and everyone's eyes were fixed on him. So the idea that this individual was the lowest of the low does not fit that context. He gave it back to the servant who was the servant, the attendant, over the entire synagogue. Or John 18, 36. We read this, Jesus answered and said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants, my huperetes, those who represent me, would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And the list goes on and on. The word servant here is much different than what we read in some of the other New Testament contexts the the word carries the idea of one who serves but it's also one who's an official representative you see paul is saying that he and apollos and by extension other christian leaders right that he and apollos are servants but he doesn't use the word doulos slave right like he does in some context for he's not focusing on the fact that they belong to christ and they're under his authority although they are but that's not his focus here nor does he were, use the word diakonos, right, which is the, where we get our English word deacon, because he's not focusing so much on the act of service, though they are certainly called to serve. Instead, he uses this word huperetes because he wants to draw attention to the fact that both he and Apollos, they've been appointed to this position and that they're both representatives of Jesus. That they're in this position where they represent Christ. Now, not only does Paul make note of the fact that they are servants of Christ, that they are representatives of Christ, he also makes it clear that they are both stewards of the mysteries of God. The word steward is the Greek word oikonomos. (laughs) This is crazy. I was studying this week and uh, uh, much to my shame we watched my big fat Greek wedding (laughs) last weekend. I shouldn't really admit that from the pulpit. But as, even as I was studying, I kept going, it comes from the Greek, oikonomos. Anyway, like, so, oikonomos. I almost can't say it without thinking. Anyway, and it means one who has authority and responsibility for something. So it's the same word we, we read in Luke 16.1, where it says, Now he, Jesus, was saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, that's the word, manager, steward, And this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. This manager is given a great deal of responsibility and he's squandering the possessions. Or Romans 16, 23. We read, Gaius, host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, again the same word, steward, one who's given responsibility over the city treasury, greets you. Or Titus 1, 7. For the overseer, this is speaking of elders in the church. The overseer, the elder, must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine. Right, and the list goes on. Or First Peter four ten, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the grace of the manifold grace of God. That it's ideally, it's it's speaking of somebody here who is. Uh, not just somebody who has been given something, but somebody who has been given a great deal of responsibility, put in a position of authority. So Paul's making it clear that he and Apollos have both been given a position of great responsibility. And I can't help but read Paul's words here and think of the words of Jesus in Luke 12, 48, when he said, From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. In other words, the Master... None other than the Lord Jesus Christ called them to this position. They had been given grace, immeasurable grace. And now there was nothing that he could not ask of them. In light of what he had done for them, they had to serve him, they had no other choice. However, Paul's saying something even more specific here. He's speaking of the specific responsibility, the stewardship that they are appointed to, that he and Apollos were given as stewards of the mysteries of God. So what is this mysteries of God? Paul uses this term mystery throughout his letters to speak of something that is not understood by human wisdom, but instead something that must be revealed by God. Oftentimes the Gospel is referred to as a mystery. Then in the Old Testament, we see the Gospel as a mystery. It's something previously unclear, unknown, but God revealed it. Another thing we might see is the, the Christ's relationship to the church. Scripture speaks of that being a mystery. It's something that was previously unknown, but God revealed it to the church. So therefore, it's not something that is hard to figure out, like a math equation or diagramming a sentence or a mystery in a novel, right? It's something that was previously been unknown, but now has been revealed by God. So when Paul uses it in this plural way, the mysteries of God, he's talking about the wisdom from God. The wisdom that comes from God and the responsibility of using it. See, Paul knows there's danger. There's very real danger in growing in intellectual understanding, but never in practical application. He understands that he is more than just a recipient of wisdom, but he's a steward of wisdom. God's given him wisdom, and he needs to not only receive it, he needs to be a steward of it. He's been charged with the responsible use of wisdom. In other words, Paul understands the responsibility given to believers, to him and all believers, to be not only hearers of the Word, but also doers of the Word just as we talked about last week. So when Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, why are you saying, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos? We are servants and stewards. He's not saying, we are merely servants and stewards, as though they were unimportant. He's saying, we have, along with other Christian leaders, we have been appointed as representatives to a position of great responsibility. We've been given wisdom from God and we must be good stewards of that wisdom, not squanderers of it. So having seen number one, that Paul says we are servants and stewards, we are servants and stewards, the second point in our sermon outline is we are accountable to our master. Paul says, church in Corinth, not only are we servants and stewards, but we are also accountable to our master to our Master. Look at verses 2-4 through with me. It says this, In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the lord. So he says, "It's required of stewards to be found trustworthy." Right? And it, and it, it's I want you to understand, it's a very small thing. It's not nothing, but it's a very small thing that you would examine me. In fact, I don't even examine myself. But please understand, church in Corinth, that this, it's not by this that I'm acquitted. It's not by this that I'm found innocent. Because the one who examines me, It's not you, it's not even me, it's God. The one who examines me is the Lord. So he's saying, it's required that stewards be found trustworthy, and God's going to examine that. He's going to see if I am indeed being found trustworthy. See, what Paul is saying is that stewards, by very nature of their position, and by nature of what has been entrusted to them, their master's work, must be, be examined. He's saying that examination is not only reasonable, it's also to be expected. Notice though that Paul is clear that it's not the believers in Corinth or anywhere else, anyone else that will ultimately hold Paul accountable. That he's not accountable to them. For he says, it is a very small thing to be examined by you or by any other human judge. Now don't misunderstand and don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Paul is not saying, I don't care what anyone else says. right? I'm accountable to no one. Therefore, I'm going to do it my way. That's not at all what Paul is driving at. See, he recognizes that he is indeed accountable to others in the church. The church is a body. And each and every part needs accountability from the other parts in order to function just as we are commanded if we see a brother or sister without clothing and in need of food, not to merely say, go in peace, right? be warmed and be filled. We're also not commanded to merely overlook sin in each other's lives. Paul taught on this topic. If you doubt my, uh, my assertion here, Paul taught on this topic in Galatians 6.1 when he wrote, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourselves so that you too will not be tempted. So he said, if someone's caught in a sin, restore them. Bring them to repentance. Bring them to a place where you're bringing them to repentance, but be careful in how you do it. And in Matthew 18, the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus addressed the fact that we are indeed accountable to each other. Matthew 18, verse 15 says this, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So Jesus himself says, if your brother sins, go! Go and show him! Right? And if he doesn't listen, take, take two or more with you. Right? And if he still refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And in a couple of weeks, when we get to chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, we'll see that Paul clearly addresses the need for the church to hold each other accountable. Right? He even goes so far, he even goes to the extent that he comes down hard on them for not doing so. He says, I, I can't believe that you're letting this happen and that you're not holding each other accountable. So please don't read this and think Paul's saying, I'm accountable to no one. That I'm not accountable to man. I'm not even accountable to myself, to my own conscience. God has cleared me. God has vindicated me. Yes, he is saying God has cleared me. But he's not saying he's not accountable. Paul though an apostle, doesn't see himself as being above this type of accountability. When he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. His everyone means everyone, including himself. He recognizes that he too is accountable to the church. However, his point here is that he is ultimately accountable to God even over and above his own estimation of himself. He says, I I don't even examine myself, that I'm not the final authority. That I look at my heart, but I'm not the final authority. That God knows, even more than me, my heart, the intentions, the thoughts. Ultimately, I'm accountable to God. See, just as stewards need to be concerned first and foremost with meeting the expectations of their their master, so too must Paul's concern be with pleasing the Lord. And he has to share that wisdom that God has given him. You know, on a personal note, um, that's why I continue to preach and teach. That's why I get up week after week after week to do that, because I've been appointed as a representative. I've been given a task, and I must be faithful to it. I'm accountable to the church, yes, absolutely, that the church needs to hold me accountable, not only as a member, especially as a member, but also as a pastor, right, and to what I say up here, that is true, but I am ultimately accountable to God. So if the church comes to me and says, you know, we think you need to preach this way, and it goes against what scripture says, then I need to say, no, I'm accountable to God. When the church comes to me, not that the church would hopefully ever do this and say, you need to stop preaching all this gospel nonsense. Can't you just make us feel good for once? Can't you just like talk about flowers and butterflies and like, let's talk about... let's?" And we know the church doesn't really do that, right? That would be crazy. But would it be that crazy for a pastor to stand up and talk about social justice? Would it be that crazy... For a pastor, because this is what happens in so many churches. A pastor will stand up and say, the world is in trouble and you need to help the world. Clothe the poor. Feed the poor. Help the sick. Save the world. And it's a feel-good message. But it departs from the central message of Scripture. The Gospel. That which we opened with. So when I depart from that message, right, I'm accountable to God. And I'm accountable to you, but I'm accountable to the extent that you hold me accountable, not to your standards, but to God's standards. And that's what Paul's speaking of here. You see, I must give an account to you. But ultimately, I will give an account for you. That's what Scripture says. And that account that account will be to none other than the master, the owner, the king. And he'll say, what did you do? What did you do with my church? And Paul understands this. So having seen, number one, that Paul says, we are servants and stewards. And number two, we are accountable to our master. Let's look at the third point in our sermon outline. The third point is, he, Christ, he alone, is the perfect master. He alone is the perfect master. Look at verse 5 with me. He says, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then, each man's praise will come from God. He says, Therefore, don't go on passing judgment Because the Lord's going to bring to light these things. He's going to bring to light the ministry of men, including their motives, including their hearts, their thoughts, their intentions. And when that happens, each man's praise will come from one one place and one place alone. And that's God. You see, again, Paul is not saying that there's no place for judgment at all. For in just a few paragraphs, at the end of chapter 5, he will say, Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? He says, Are you not supposed to judge those inside the church? So he's not speaking against judgment altogether. What he's speaking against is a judgment that is first premature, right? Before the time. Don't don't go on passing judgment before the time. And second, judgment that makes man, instead of God, the ultimate judge. That uses man's standard, not God's standard. God has already determined what is right and what is wrong. And man's job is not to say, well, you know, I think that in this case, instead it's to look to God, who is the ultimate judge, and point us to God. That is why he says, when the Lord comes, He will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. You see, man is fallible. He's imperfect. He doesn't see all that God sees. So don't place yourself in a position where you're trying to be God and making human wisdom the measuring stick by which you're constantly measuring others in the church. Now that being said, just a word of caution As we move forward in 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to be very clear about judging those outside the church. He speaks pretty strongly about, yes, it is your job to judge those in the church, that you're to hold each other accountable, that you're to help each other fight sin, that you're to cause each other to grow, and you're to do so in a loving way. But then he says also, what have we to do with judging the world? That's God's job. Far too often in church, we're so concerned about what the neighbors are doing That we never look to our own lives and each other's lives and say, you know, let's grow in the Lord. Let's grow in our obedience to Him. Instead, we're concerned that somebody across the street might be doing something wrong. That's pride. That's God's job. Our job is to hold each other accountable. So please don't hear that Paul saying there's no place for judgment. Furthermore, I think Paul is clearly speaking out against not just negative judgment based on human standards, but also positive judgment. I think Paul is actually speaking out against what I would call positive judgment. A judgment that looks at somebody and says, you know, I'm not going to use Bill Batty for an example, because I use Bill Batty for an example all the time, right? And my default is T and then Mark, so I'm going to use somebody else, Larry, right? So, that looks at Larry and says, you know... That Larry, he's a good guy. He's got it all together. Right? And ultimately, Paul says, don't just judge each other in a negative way by human standards, but don't... He's speaking against positive judgment. That's why he ends with, then each man's praise will come from God. The Corinthian believers were judging Paul and Apollos and Cephas, and many of their judgments were favorable. I'm convinced of that. Many of them were apparently saying, oh, that Apollos, right? He's something else. Boy, can he preach, right? Or, oh, Paul. You know, you may be of Apollos, right? He can preach. He can preach like something else. But Paul, he's got such a heart for the lost. He travels all over the world. Oh, that Paul, right? He just cares about the lost. Or Peter. (laughs) Peter, he's bold, Like that boy, he says it like it is, right? Or whatever. So Paul says, the Lord, He's the one who knows our hearts. He knows not only what is seen on the outside, which may look real good to some of you, but He also knows the inside. He knows our motives. And that ultimately, we're accountable to Him. That He's the perfect judge. He's the judge who can look at Jason Pauley and know why I am up here this morning. He knows every thought, every intention of the heart. You know it's easy to be a glory robber. I know there are plenty of times when I step off this pulpit and I'll say to my wife, how did it go? And I... I don't want to be a glory robber. There are times when my heart is pure and I say, "Did I communicate well? Did it make sense? Did anybody get anything out?" Like is it is there am I speaking clearly or are they just up am I up there babbling away and they're just thinking, "When is this going to be over?" Right? But there are times when I'm a glory robber. There are times when pastors struggle with this. I'd say Around 70% of pastors struggle with this, right? And the other 30% struggle with denial, right? The, the, they end up in this position, we end up in this position where it's like, wow, that was a rousing sermon, so how was it, Bill Batty, right? Because we want to be a glory robber. We want to steal the glory that belongs to God. And Paul knows that any praise that he or Peter or Paulus, any praise that they're to seek after, must come from their Master. Not that there's no place in encouragement. Encouragement is a huge blessing. You should go up to Kathy after Sunday school and say, thank you for your service. Thank you for teaching. It's a blessing to me. And I need that. And I appreciate what you do. You should say that to Bill. You should say that to those who lead. Right? We should be encouraging. But ultimately, when we do things, we need to be seeking God's glory. We must be seeking praise from Him, right? Because we are bringing praise to Him. See, the Master is the only one who can say to the steward, well done, well done, you represented me well. And that's what any Christian should want from the one who sees not only the outward behavior, who not only sees the results of one's service, but also knows the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Any Christian should want to hear, well done, good and faithful surgeon. Good, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Well done. So in review, Paul says to the Corinthians, we are servants and stewards. We're, we're accountable to our master. And he alone, Christ, is the perfect master. So how do we. Apply all of this, both individually and corporately, specifically here at Harmony Bible Church. How do we take this and bring it down to the place where we're applying it, where we're living in light of it? Well, I want to give three points. Number one, remember that we too are called to be servants and stewards. Just as Paul and Apollos and Cephas or Peter were called to be servants and stewards. So are we. We've all been appointed to a position of great responsibility. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. You know, you think, well, that's easy for you to say. You're up there preaching this morning. But we're all appointed to a position of great responsibility. We have a responsibility to those around us. And we need to remember, to Him who has been given much, much will be demanded. Right? And we've been given much. We've been given grace upon grace upon grace. God's grace has showered down upon us again and again and again. You see, I don't want to be like the man who buried his master's talents in the ground. And I don't want to be like the man who, when his master came back and said, What'd you do? He said, Well, I, you know, I dug a hole, I put them down there. I want to be the servant who's faithful. I want to be a good steward of what's been entrusted to me. And I want you to remember, I want all of us to remember that we are called to be servants and stewards, good stewards as Scripture says, of the manifold grace of God. That God has given you much. And therefore, we should be investing much. Number two, not only are we called to be servants and stewards, but we must remember that we too are accountable to our Master. That ultimately we are accountable to God. Yes, we need to hold each other accountable. But, we are ultimately accountable to God. God that when we hold each other accountable, we're not looking to our standards, we're looking to God's standards. And we're saying, you are accountable to God and I want to help you be in a position where as a steward, when the Master says, when He looks at you, He can say, well done, well done. You handled what was given to you well. And that's the role of the church, to help each other grow in that. We must also remember very easy to hide in the church. We all do it if you're honest. You come in here on Sunday morning, right? And you've been fighting with the wife all morning like the car is just like on fire, right? Because you're you're just like you're going to kill each other on the ride here. And then you get out of the car and you go, "Good morning." Good morning. How are you? "Oh, I'm good. Good morning." Right? We all do it. See, it's easy to hide. But we have to remember ultimately we're accountable to God. That He knows the thoughts, the intentions of the heart. He sees all. And in light of that, we need to remember, number three, that He, God, is the perfect Master. He knows and judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that's both intimidating and encouraging. I don't want you to walk away from that comment thinking, wow, that's so intimidating. That I, you know, I need to not just pretend everything's right, but I need to get it right all the time. No, God knows the thoughts. He knows the intentions. He knows your heart. And that should be intimidating in some sense. That we say, wow, God knows all. He sees all. But it also should be encouraging. Because this is the God who given us grace upon grace upon grace. The God who says there's no place to hide in the church. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I'm, as Bill said in Sunday school, I'm having a tough morning, right? Because we should be able to say, you know, I'm struggling, but God's given me grace. God's given me grace and He's still working on me, right? So as we leave here, I want to remember, I want us all to remember that we are called to be servants and stewards, that we're accountable to our Master, God Himself, And that he is the perfect master, the master who sees all, knows all, and still loves us, still lavishes grace upon grace in our lives, and calls us to serve him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to reflect on the fact that. Just as you called Paul and Apollos and Cephas, that we've all been called to positions of great responsibility. God, that we are all servants and stewards, servants and stewards of your wisdom, servants and stewards of the gospel. God, I pray that we would, as Paul was so concerned, live in light of the gospel, God, that we would recognize that we too are accountable to our Master. That we are accountable to You. And that ultimately, men may point us to You. Our conscience may point us to You. But ultimately, even though those, even though man or our conscience may tell us we're free, that ultimately You are the one who makes us free. You are the one who acquits us. God, I pray that we would remember the gospel, that we would live in light of it, that we would recognize that you are the one who gives us grace upon grace. I thank you that you are indeed the perfect master. God, that your judgment is not biased, that you know the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God, I pray for us as we recognize that that can be intimidating, but also that it's encouraging, for you know us. You know us more than any man could, and you love us. God, shower your grace upon us now. Help us to not be squanderers of that grace, but instead to be good stewards of it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Pauley pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.